Since 1994, RBCS has delivered insight and confidence to hundreds of clients around the world. We have a team of international consultants that deliver customized training, consulting, and expert services for companies that are looking to improve their test and quality assurance practices. In this session, I am happy to welcome Nivia Henry. Nivia S. Henry fundamentally believes that happy people working in a healthy environment will do great things. This philosophy has driven her to build a 15-plus year career creating and supporting high-performing teams. Her career path has included agile coaching, enterprise agile transformations, product management, and people leadership. Today, Nivia applies her hard-earned experience as a quality and web engineering manager at Spotify. And I assume that you've all, all of you have heard of Spotify, the famous Spotify. In this session, she'll discuss Spotify's perspective on quality and focus on how the organization has organically grown its test automation practice. If you have any questions during the course of the webinar for uh, Nivia or for me or for both of us, you may submit them throughout the presentation via your webinar interface, but please note that they are answered only at the end. So let's just jump right into this. If we can get PowerPoint, advance the slide that is. <laughs> um, so, um, one of the things that, that uh, we definitely wanted to talk about um, Nivea was Spotify's definition for quality. So maybe that's a good place to start. Like what is quality at Spotify? Excellent question, Rex. And uh, before I answer the question, I just wanted to thank you again for having me on. Um, I love um, your um, webcast in general and uh, I'm just thank you. honored to be part of it. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting the way Spotify looks at quality. Um, we see it as a team sport. In other words, uh, we have a shorthand that says everyone is responsible for quality. And while that sounds um, rather generic, we live by those values by making sure that members of quality are um, permanently embedded inside of the cross-functional teams. And also that our quality members are there more for enhancing um, practices and not doing um, quality as it were. Uh, in other words, uh, you don't see a member of our quality team being the only ones in the um, in the team who test. Rather, they're pairing with developers to write better tests and write more deterministic tests or ensure that requirements and tests better align. And so that's a way our values manifest and by saying everybody is responsible for quality. And what that's enabled us to do is um, scale quality much more quickly than we would if we bottlenecked um, the activities only to a certain set of roles. And it's also made um, improved quality significantly by ensuring that everyone is thinking about the end goal, um, not just the quality members. Yeah, great. Um, one of my other clients has a, uh, I thought a pretty uh, nice way of, of doing that same kind of thing. They refer to their quality people as the quality owners, kind of analogous to the product owners. So there's a product owner for their agile team, but then the quality owner is the the rep of the of the quality team um, within the agile team. And similarly, their job is not to just sit there and be the sole testers, but actually to to enable better testing and better quality as a whole. Uh, so it sounds like you're uh, you're you're trying to achieve a similar um, mindset, I guess, with with your quality folks, huh? Totally. I love um, borrowing from the concept of product ownership because to me that's immediately recognizable as a model 
um, for what this person is intending to do. So I think that's really smart of, of your other client uh, and might be something I steal later <laughs> just for full disclosure. <laughs> but yeah, um, it, is, it is very much in the same spirit. Um, how do we disseminate quality uh, and make it ubiquitous in the product without being the bottlenecks? And we serve as coaching, mentoring, support, and enablement. Cool. Um, what would you, um, when you think about the different uh, um, things that you do, like from an operational point of view, um, you know, what what does quality look like, um, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So um, I'll give you a perfect example right now. Um, we're working on um, a new feature, um, and, and obviously I can't <laughs> reveal that, but of course. Um, <laughs> what it is. <laughs> Um, but stay tuned. Um, and this is not going to be a feature that necessarily uh, manifests itself in a visual manner. Um, and so what we are doing, uh, a member of my team today is doing, is literally sitting down with that team and say, okay, this is not traditionally a visual test. So you can't think of it as your end-to-end client-based um, testing. How do we still ensure that we are incorporating the user experience um, even if it's not a visual representation. In other words, mm. how will the user interact with this if it's not going to be visually? Um, and so that it, that forces us to think differently about the types of tests we might do and the variances um, that of way, the variances that we have to um, to ultimately um, verify the system if it's not going to be as easy to do visually. So might it be contract testing? Um, might it be um, more uh, integration testing? Um, might it, you know, might it be um, uh, more dynamic testing, if you will? Because now we have to make sure that uh, we we account for multiple instances that could impact the user in in a non-deterministic way. So that's something we're excited about because it's it moves even further away from this visual slash manual um, association with quality. Sure. Um, and so that makes me excited. Another way that we um, uh, operationally that we support a squad is um, we have regular test sessions. There's this fallacy that um, as soon as you move away from manual testing, it means you never have manual testing again. As you know, there is no um, tool or framework that that uh, can um, substitute the human eye and the human intuition. Um, so what we've done is we're creating models and frameworks um, for better visual and manual test sessions. In other words, we expect um, the highest level, we expect majority um, of your of our work, um, testing work to be automated, but we still understand the need for visual checks, especially when it comes to the user experience. So how do we systematize that so that anyone can do it? It doesn't necessarily need to be led from quality. Got it. So yeah. those are examples. Cool. Uh, so you you kind of opened the, the door to my next question there of like how how test automation fits into this uh, into the in the quality as as a operation there um, what what are you uh, what are you leveraging in terms of test automation Yeah so um, as we all know as like fellow practitioners um, there's a tax at the very beginning of creating an automation practice, right? There's the tax of um, educating ourselves. There's the tax of um, acquiring the necessary tools 
um, in order to um, execute automated tests. And then there's the tax of writing automatic automated tests. Yeah. What's not right. So what's not so clear, though, is there's an ongoing um, maintenance tax, if you will, of yeah. ensuring that your tests are always green and are always passing. <laughs> um, yeah. And and I think people underestimate that because they're so focused on like the early costs. Um, so one way um, specifically we support testing is that we, um, as quality folks, um, especially when we're not necessarily focused on a feature, we spend a lot of our um, discovery time slash downtime slash you know growth time um, researching um, automation, um, not only in terms of like tooling and frameworks, but in terms of how do you write better automated tests. And what that translates to is we suggest and we submit um, uh, uh, work um, to make ongoing improvements. So for example, um, today we're for our mobile, um, for iOS mobile platform, um, we, uh, we use the legacy test framework and we realized that it was much flakier um, because the tests were not um, written in the native language of the developer. The tests were written in Java, um, whereas our native developers um, typically use Objective-C. So we decided to do some investigation uh, about like what you know what are frameworks out there that are much more um, you know that are natively written um, for iOS first of all much more stable much more um, uh, easier to use for the developers since they are primary users and that has resulted in us investing in that in a migration to that framework uh, and as quality folks not only did we do that upfront research presented to our peers in the form of an RFC to get buy-in but we're doing the heavy lifting of um, uh, ensuring that that framework, even out of the box, meets our use cases and also teaching our developers how to use it. Um, and uh, we're also, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, I was just saying, I was uh, agreeing, I'm saying nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> when, when we, I, there are a few people who get excited about talking testing and quality, and I think this is like the special crowd. So forgive yeah. me for being yeah. too excited. We can, we can geek out on it together for sure. <laughs> uh, Yak, you brought up you brought up a, um, some some really key points there of, of of maintainability and and coping with this issue of the flaky automated test. You know, sometimes it passes and sometimes it doesn't, and kind of got into what I would sort of refer to as test automation architecture. You know, of of like going going beyond just hey, I'm going to sit down and automate some tests and see what happens, but I'm going to first I'm going to stand back and I'm going to think about, you know, what's this where where is this going to go longer term? Um right. so it sounds like you that's that's kind of a role that you guys play. Totally. Um so automation strategy and and to your point, automation um not just for its um, you know, its sake. Um so that we don't uh, sort of overinvest without seeing the necessary benefits mm. uh, that's definitely something we constantly look at and we do that through you know obviously there's a, a um uh, an aspect of using um data and metrics as a, a as a way of determining okay um first of all um in our frameworks today what is the return on investment we're seeing um are we uh we we have bug counts we have um uh, sort of Code smells, I would almost say, that help that lends us insight into seeing whether or not our automation is even making a difference and what's the next level of investment. 
Um, one, one framework we use to do that is um, to think about the idea of um, the test pyramid uh, and to try to move down the pyramid and invest down the pyramid. In other words, we know that the, the heavier cost automated tests uh, and therefore the heavier cost toolings tend to sit at the top of the pyramid, which is more like your UI based and um, uh, uh, end to end style tests. Um, so what we try to do is say, okay, let's make um, a, a intentional strategy to move that cost to reduce that cost by moving down um, both in the amount of test coverage we um, we have as well as the types of toolings we invest in next. So um, we're, uh, that means we're moving much, like we're looking more into unit tests um, unit, uh, and ways to um, improve how, um, the coverage levels at the unit level so that we don't necessarily always have to um, treat everything like a, an intent test or even an integration test. Uh, and even on the integration front, we're breaking down what integration means so that when we write an automated test, we're not, we're not overlapping um, our cases so that we're um, just reproducing and uh, duplicating um, coverage. We're really focusing on um, exceptions, almost like a pairwise model, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like what is the minimally sufficient coverage and what are the minimally sufficient tests that we can have? And I know there's the logic that you, you there's, why not have as many unit tests as possible because they're cheap and fast? And the answer is yes, but back to the thinking about maintenance, the more tests you have, the more you have to maintain it. So don't have a test just because it's cheap, have a test because you can tie it back to a scenario. Wow, that, that is such a key insight. Um, you know, I've, I've seen this with so many clients where they get, they get their automation framework set up and they get all excited about it and they just like, Hey, let's write a test and throw it in the bucket and write a test and throw it in the bucket, right? And they just, <laughs> they, they, just keep, they keep thinking, well, the bucket is is infinite, right? And the bucket is bottomless because it, it costs nothing to write this test and it costs nothing to run it. And of course, neither of those things are true, right? I mean, it does, there's always a cost to write the test and there's always a cost to run it. And I, I tell clients over and over, it's like, guys, it is the, the cost to have and maintain and run a test will never be zero, but the value of the test can actually be zero or even less than zero. Uh, exactly. You really got to be thinking about, hey, you know, why, what, what do I really need to have automated? What, what is important enough that I want to run this every time I, I do a build? You know. Bingo. Now, Bingo. Yeah, that's. I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> cool. So, so. Um, you mentioned like improving the business value of automation by moving, moving, trying to push the automation lower on the pyramid. And again, focusing on tests that are important to run, not just test automated tests because we can automate the test kind of thing. Um, right. How, how would you, how would you say that Spotify measures the, the business value of, of uh, automation? What are, what are you oh, yeah. looking at? Great question. Um, a few, I would say um, run like the, Test suite runtime is huge for us. Like we wanna make sure that we can run our tests um, and our test suite on a repeatable basis as frequently as possible. And so we try to keep those um, test suite runtimes um, fairly succinct because as you know, um, it takes a load on the machines running the test suite. And, and of course, if you can't run it a while, um, if you can't run it quickly, then you'll run it less frequently, which is bad for everyone. So I would say that's like a key performance indicator for us is how quickly can the, the suite run. 
Um, cool. Second there. Sorry. I'd say cool. That's that's see, that's really that's another really great insight. And I'm glad you shared that, because I think a lot of times people fall into sort of the traditional um how much how much effort would this take to do manually right and and while there uh, there's value in that you you know i think what what by by focusing on the how quickly can we get it to run you're emphasizing another thing that people often forget about with automation which is getting you that faster feedback right of like have we broken anything you know oh my good that's the word faster feedback cycle the only way one wins at delivering and delivering quality is to shorten your feedback cycle that is the only consistent competitive advantage in my opinion and so the fast the more tests you can run the fact more quickly you can react to potential issues and the more you can get your ultimately ship so I love that word. It's it's part, think of, if we're thinking of this from an agile mindset, we have to apply the agile values and fast feedback cycles is a consistent value um, that should still apply to our automation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, it's it's also then supporting, uh, you know, that, that ability to to embrace change, right? Because you're, you're able to better manage regression risk, right? So, we're, we're embracing change. We're providing faster feedback, you know, and that's being enabled by automation, right? Exactly. Exactly. And if you make your test too bulky, you are literally taking away one of our core advantages for moving to automation to begin with. Yeah. I've run into this with clients, too, where they've, you know, they've they've heavily invested in, in automation, um, you know, through the UI and so forth. And and then I'll say, well, you, you guys run those in every build. They're like, no, nah, we really can't. You know, it's <laughs> it takes so long that we we only run them three times a week. Um, oh my god! And, you know, and I'm thinking, man, you know, if you if you could just focus on the tighter set, you know, tighter set of tests that could be included. But when they ran them, they didn't. Or when they built the test, they didn't keep track of which tests cover which things. So oh, no. they have no intelligent way of going in and pruning, you know. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> really you really do have to keep your eye on the ball. <laughs> Indeed, but you know where I'm heartened though. If they're bringing in somebody like you, Rex, that means they recognize that okay, we want the value. We're not realizing the value. Clearly, there's something either wrong or we're not doing. And bringing in somebody like of your caliber and of your experience is to me heartening. It's worse when the response becomes, well, the team sucks and quality is uh, automation is not worth it, so let's do nothing. So I'm actually hardened to hear when your clients talk to you about this because they're engaging you. <laughs> well, thank you for the kind words. I've definitely seen that the the automation failed, therefore the team sucks before, um, or more more accurately, I've kind of come in in the radioactive nuclear fallout that was still laying around after oh, no. that had happened, you know, like a, a large investment was made in automation and just some of the, you know, some of the stumbling blocks that are easy enough to trip over were tripped over. And then the assumption was, well, the team sucks. Right. Um, and exactly. yeah, and, you know, I, I, I'm sure you've, you've seen this or, or heard about this of, you know, when, when something, something big and high visibility fails, it, 
it's not always the case that people look into, well, let's figure out why it failed and let's try it again with right. the lessons learned. So sometimes it's, just, oh, that doesn't work, you know? So my clients exactly. that have had the worst experiences with automation, a lot of times, you know, I've, I've learned just not even to bring up test automation with them is they just get all red in the face and start sputtering, test automation doesn't work or- Oh my goodness. all a scam, <laughs> you know? And, you know, and I, I can say, well, no, I mean, you just guys, you guys made some mistakes and, you know, try it again. You learn some lessons, but sometimes that just, they, they're not even open to that conversation. Totally. No, I hear you. I used to also, in addition to test automation, I used to hear the same thing about Agile. We tried it. It didn't work. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I mean, first of all, just like test automation, you, you can't make broad statements like we tried automation, we tried Agile. You have to talk about what you tried because that matters in your context. And you have to think about, as you just said, you have to retrospect on what didn't work because at the end of the day, the value proposition doesn't go away. It's not like, well, it didn't work, but we solved the problem through another means. Whenever you go one layer deeper, as I'm sure you do too, and say, okay, it didn't work, but did you find something that did? The answer is never, oh yeah, yeah, we solved this. No, the answer is <laughs> that didn't work and we still have the problem. Well, maybe then we should invest in why it didn't work so that we can ultimately get to fixing the problem. Why not? Why don't we, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I asked you for a, for a few minutes out of your day today, and uh, I appreciate you doing that. Have you got time for uh, another question from me and then maybe one or two from the audience? I would be delighted to, Rex. I owe you, so you have me for as long as you need me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. I think uh, one of the ones that I would I would like to get on, um, we had talked about maybe discussing horror stories, but I've, I think I've probably shared a few of those myself here. So. <laughs> Let's let's go the other way. What would you consider the best decision or the best decisions that Spotify has made about automation? Hmm, really good question. Um, this might sound overly simplistic, but I think the decision to push towards native formats for the framework automation frameworks is has been a life changer. What I mean by that is think of yourself as a developer who have to already context switch and so many points of the software development lifecycle. Now, again, we're asking you to, first of all, test early and often because there's a value, but while you're testing early and often, uh, if you're not a native, um, if your native uh, program language is A, switch to B and do both. <laughs> I mean, really, that's so unfair. Yeah. And we've seen that through, yeah, we've seen the manifestation by fewer tests and tests that are sloppily written. Like we treat test code like it's actually not code at all. Remember, test code is code. Mm -hmm. So by switching to their native language, it just it just removes uh, or at least reduces the barrier. They can really um, sort of um, oscillate much more easily in thinking about the test pseudocoding before they start writing the actual code. So I that would be one. Can I can I answer one more for oh, this? Yeah, there's a second one. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> um yeah, I, I also think um uh, darn it. I'm having a senior moment and I completely forgot my second one, but it was oh it was so important too. Um oh, and so it was you, reset. So native so so the the native and uh using the native language then uh that's that's really interesting because I would, I, I you know, I, I run into teams that are doing automation a lot. And um, a lot of times, and I'm sure you've seen this, they're going for the bright, shiny object, right? The, the 
exactly. you know, the tool du jour, whatever's got the, the great buzz of, you know, or, or the, or the big marketing. Uh, totally. And, and so you're saying, no, 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 no. Refocus on, you know, making, making the automation a natural fit for the skills yes. that your developers have so that you're, you're leveraging the, you're leveraging your developers, not trying to leverage some tool. Eggs, bingo. You said it perfectly stated, even better than I could. Make your investment in developer productivity. Don't chase the marketing shiny object. Nice. And you will get much more usage out of the test and it will pay for itself. So that's, I mean, that's just, that's a huge insight, really. I mean, <laughs> to, to hear you say, look, this is what we did at Spotify and it works. That's that's a major takeaway, and I'm hoping I hope a lot of people really tune into that here. They're listening because, uh, you know, as I said, that 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 bright shiny object of the of the latest and greatest tool, you know, that's uh, plenty plenty of teams have thrown lots of money into trying oh, to yeah. uh, you know get ROI that way and not um, not gotten it. So exactly. yeah, that's. Uh, that's a that's a really good one. I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna steal that one. If you if you want to steal quality <laughs> quality owner for my other client, I'm stealing that insight of, you know, do do what you can to leverage the skills and um, productivity of your of your developers. You know, don't let the tool get in the way. That's great. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. By the way, that's another Rex superpower of like taking a bunch of words and like distilling it into fine points. So yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me get you a question here from, um, from Stefano, who is a longtime listener of these uh, webinars. He says, um, it seems at Spotify, you have a clear quality oriented mindset across all of the company. Did you achieve that via a transformation or is it more the result of the hiring process? That is, only hire people that have that mindset. Brilliant question, Stefano. I prob I think you have a gut feel of the answer, and it's the latter. Um, the thing about transformations is it requires you to make um, a case of the future state that's not always clear, and the values are very abstract unless you do a ton of you know um, research, like quantitative um, research. But if you if you want to make meaningful lasting changes, what what could work is introducing it gradually through the population so that one day you wake up and suddenly everyone thinks that way. Now it's no longer of how we're doing with the transformation. Did we did we achieve our goal? Like what was the value? No, skip all that. If we understand fundamentally that quality, um, the quality mindset is important to all of us incorporate that into our hiring practice. And we did it as simply as um, putting in quality questions right alongside programming questions. It wasn't some major revamp. And then we hired people with that mindset. Now we also um, started out with uh, quality roles like any traditional organization. Um, and that, that organization, we did have to change our charter to evolve. Um, so I can understand that if you're sitting in an organization today that has a more a traditional quality approach. Uh, it may seem too long 
um, to, to hire in the change you want to see. So just work on your current quality population of, of having them empower others. They may worry at first about, well, what does this mean for my role? But what they realize is that they get more satisfying roles down the end because it removes them from the daily type, um, the daily tactical work of, uh, and bottleneck really and stress really of being the one to, to physically test every instance and really about um, teaching others, mentoring others, which is ultimately more satisfying. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great point. That was something that in uh, in one of the previous uh, two points of view, it too with uh, Marit. Uh, I'm going to butcher the Finnish last name Pajari. <laughs> um, if I'm getting that, if Marit, if you're listening, please don't yell at me for saying your last <laughs> name wrong. But but I did remember Marit's key point, which is exactly what you just said. Of you know make make that quality role one of a quality coach, a quality enabler, you know, really uh, set, set, set it up so that that mindset and, and those capabilities from a quality point of view are amplified across the organization rather than just being, you know, in this little silo of like, here, you sit over there and test stuff and tell us what didn't work, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Well, those are those are some great uh, great insights, Nivia. I really appreciate your time. It's uh, it was an interesting conversation. I hope uh, hope the uh, the listeners enjoyed it as well. I'm sure they did. Thank you. Likewise, Rex, and thanks again for the opportunity. Um, staying tuned to the next episode. Cool. Would you like to uh, add any sort of final final words? If there was anything that I didn't hit on. Final words are: hang in there. It's a journey and really invest in empowering others. If you are a quality member today or a quality leader, find ways to get earlier on um, into the process and making a demonstration of value um, for yourself and your team um, and not necessarily trying to retain your position as a manual tester because ultimately we all have to adapt. Yeah, excellent, excellent advice and I've seen Seeing the people who have learned to do that and uh, who are thriving in the, the way things have changed and the people who are resisting, who are having a tougher time of it, for sure. So very good words. Thank you. So, um, Thank you so I hope all of you enjoyed this uh, free webinar from RBCS. We do these free webinars as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS, we are a not just for profit company. If you enjoy our free webinars and feel that they demonstrate solid insights into the kinds of testing challenges you face, please make RBCS your preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting, or training. We're happy to provide a quote for any such help you might need. Send us an email, info at rbcs-us.com. So thanks again, Nivia, for uh, for these, these wise words. Uh, we'll have the uh, recorded version of this uh, webinar out on our YouTube and podcast channels and the uh, um, we'll let everybody uh, know about the links to that. And I'll, of course, share those with you, Nivia, too, so that uh, uh, you can pass those along if you'd like. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for attending. This ends the webinar. And uh, see you guys next time. Bye-bye.